That is a great illustration. Thank you, Rhonda. Um, the implication is, of course, as you've shown up here this morning, you're all empty. <laughs> you're all just empty, and you have great expectation that by the time you leave, you're going to be completely filled. So no pressure. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. Amen. Good. I'm glad that you're awake, and I'm glad that you responded to that, because had you not responded, that would have been a very awkward moment. Beautiful day outside. You could be anywhere, right? You could be anywhere right now. Uh, it's really good for us to be here. What a privilege it is for us to be here. What an honor and a joy it is for me to be here this morning with you. <coughs> a couple of you have commented that you like the haircut. It's not intentional. Uh, I, I wouldn't have cut it if I didn't have to. And it makes me worry that there was something wrong with the haircut before. <laughs> I got up this morning. I have to come out of the shower. It was... It was uh, fuzzy, like it looked like I'd stuck my finger in a socket. So for the first time in weeks, I took a little bit of hair gel and just kind of got it to sit down. And I thought, how is it that when your hair is only that long, you have to do anything with it at all? Um, it's, it is good to be here this morning. It's really good to be here. Before we open the Bible this morning and take a look at something I want, I want to challenge us with, let's spend a few minutes together in prayer. Um, Listen, in the, in the weeks ahead, we, we haven't got exact dates right now, but in the weeks ahead, we're going to be doing some different things in our Sunday services. Uh, I anticipate there'll be several weeks that I will not be able to be here again as God will, will lead me through this chapter for myself and rebuild me again. And so we're going to have a couple weeks that we are currently now starting to plan out. What does it look like for a Sunday gathering without a sermon? Uh, mornings where we spend maybe some time worship in song, worship in prayer, worship in extended readings. Uh, things like that. So we're working on some of the logistics of what that might look like for us. So I want us to just pause for a minute and take a couple minutes to, to spend in prayer. And I'm going to do that. It's, it's spur of the moment, so I don't no pressure. Are there prayer requests that you would like to share this morning? Is there anything specifically you would like us to pray for this morning? And I know it's on the spot and it's last minute, but is there anything that you, you would like to bring this morning you'd say, I would appreciate if our church family would pray for it, whether it's a need or whether it's a celebration, whether it's a thanksgiving. If there's anything specific you'd like me to mention in prayer this morning, uh, please feel free. Yeah, Gail. Our pastor is video. It would be fun to pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason your pastor is standing here right now is because you have been praying. Um, let, me, let me, and I'm not trying to draw the morning out, let me just quickly say, I wish I could testify to you that through this chapter of illness, I have been a warrior in my faith and in my prayer, and I can't testify to that. I can tell you that on some days I've said to God, that's all I got. God, I, I, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I, I've been empty, and I've been crushed, and I've been dark, and I've said to God, I'll give you what I got, but it is it's really next to nothing. And uh, what I want to tell you this morning is that God is faithful and has taken the little insignificant, pathetic faith that I've been able to offer on some days, and he stood me here this morning. That's why we have us. That's why we have us. Your faith in Jesus Christ is an absolutely personal, intimate thing. But when you came to faith in Christ, he pulled you into a larger body of Christ. And none of us could testify to anything apart from the fact that we have fellowship with one another and strength through that. Thank you, Gail, for the prayers of this church that have sustained me on my darkest days and on my best days and have sustained our family as well. Uh, that's, that's what it means to be a family of faith. 
All right. I'd like prayer for our farmers. Mm. It's beautiful weather. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to get crops off and get green raindrops. Yep. Yep. And, and uh, I, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I know enough to say we're probably not going to have a banner year, right? It's not going to be a great year. Uh, is what it is. Uh, we will still thank God for what he does, and, and we'll let, let's bring that to prayer. Okay. Let's spend a couple minutes in prayer. We, it is a privilege for us to come together as a body and to lift our voices and know that it goes beyond the ceiling, that our God actually hears us and is, is with us in every moment. So let's, let's pray together. Um, <clears throat> Father, it is not uncommon for us to come to you with our need and with our hurts and, and with the things that we, we just need you to show up. And, and I'm sure that the vast majority of us here would testify that we can do that with confidence because of who you've already proven who you are. You're good beyond measure. We've lost track of your bounty and your blessings to us. Um, and yet, uh, life is tough. Life is hard. It, it's, not, it's not a stretch for any one of us to say, yes, I can think of a need. I can think of something else I need to bring before God. I can think of something else I don't have an answer for. God, thank you for your faithfulness, your strength and your faithfulness uh, proven to us over and over and over again. Um, we gather here this morning as a body of Christ, and, and hopefully there's been something said or done or whatever. We start to appreciate again the strength we have in fellowship, the strength we have in a body. It's beyond what any one of us have individually, and that's by your design. Uh, you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell couldn't stand against it. And, and we testify now several thousand years after you said it that it's true. And you build your church, you're building us together as one. Uh, we do it imperfectly, and so we constantly come back to you to say, guide us, direct us, and shape us, and mold us, and draw us to who you want us to be. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for the, the fellowship we have with one another. Thank you for the fellowship we have in you that you promised uh, when we gathered your spirit would be with us. The presence of your spirit makes all the difference in our lives. Let us not underestimate, God, what it means, the value and the, the blessing of having you with us and in us. Uh, some of Paul's writings we find a little bit difficult to understand, but the spirit of God could indwell us and fill us and uh, we just thank you for the truth of your word in that. We'll spend some time together in your word this morning again. God, we will be challenged by the things that Jesus himself has said. And uh, we just trust you to, to bless us in that, Father. Thank you for the time we have spent. For those who are part of this body, this family, who are not in the room with us this morning, we ask your blessing on them wherever they are. Uh, bless them, encourage them, and give them strength as well. Thank you, Father, for the privilege we have. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Somewhere on the, the pew, maybe beside you or in front of you, maybe you picked it up already, you've got this little card that says, um, it's part of a, a little short series I want to do called The Tough Teachings of Jesus. I don't know how many of you follow um, maybe other, other preachers or other pastors or other teachers on social media, or you've got a video of somebody, or you have watched or listened to, or you've got a book by somebody. Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of, of voices out there that teach uh, Christian doctrine. And, and um, you maybe had this experience where you will listen to a certain preacher or a teacher, and then one day they say something or they write something, and you kind of go, ah, I don't know if I'm with that or not. And maybe I'm not quite as onside with this person as I thought I was. And, and suddenly somebody that you've been following for years, you don't know if you want to follow them anymore. And, 
And so you've got a favorite preacher, and then you don't have a favorite anymore. In my world, in my psyche, really, I'm the only preacher you really, really love. You just... <laughs> but I, that's just my head. Um, there's a lot of voices that teach about Jesus. But if I were to ask you this question, who is the one voice, who's the one definitive that we simply cannot argue with when it comes to the teachings of Jesus. And I'm giving you the Sunday school answer here is, the Sunday school answer is, the one voice we cannot deny or argue with is Jesus himself, right? Uh, you might go to a book by such and such who says, here's my interpretation of the things Jesus said, or you might watch a video of, or you might follow online somebody, somebody. But what we can't ever really argue with is literally the things Jesus said, Yes? Agree to that. was half-hearted. I don't know if he didn't get breakfast, but... The things that Jesus said matter, yes? yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. The things that Pastor Steve say, um, some Sunday you're going to be driving home going, mm, I don't know what he was doing this morning, but I was not with him. But you can't argue with the things that Jesus said. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to put something in your face. I'm going to rely on the fact that I think there's a, a level of maturity in our church that you can... You can afford to be poked a little bit. You can afford to be prodded a little bit because we're going to look at some of the tough teachings of Jesus. Some of the things that he said, and here's what I think we do with them. We, we take them and we know them. We're going to look at one this morning. It's completely familiar. You've heard it before. But because it's, it's tough, we kind of compartmentalize it and go, yeah, I know about it, and I'm just going to park it. And I'm just going to leave it because it, if I really dig into it, it's going to demand more of me than what I want to give. So I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to disagree with it. I'm just going to package it and set it aside. And I think that's what we've done with some of the tough teachings of Jesus because we have verses that we know. Go ahead to these verses. There's verses in the Bible that say, really, all you need to do, if you want to be saved, if you want to follow after Jesus, all you need to do is believe it. Right? These are very familiar. God's the Lord of the world who gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would just believe would be saved. So we say, done, I believe. And, and Romans says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, done deal. You're saved, right? You've heard the phrase before, God said it, I believed it, that, that settles it. That's the end of the matter, right? And I get the psyche of that. I understand what's being said. But let me ask you this. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, was that the end of the matter or was that the beginning of something? It was the, it was the beginning of something. You know it, right? Because as you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for however many years, for those of us in the room who testify to say, I accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've been a follower of Jesus for, you know, however... You know now, what you didn't know then, was that when you accepted him by faith, that started something. God has been relentless, yes, in your life, pressing you and pushing you and molding you and shaping you in every circumstance, in every relationship, in every way you think, in every way the shape of your heart. He's been saying, I'm not done with you, I'm not done with you, I'm not done with you. Paul says it this way in Corinthians. When we are in Christ, we are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, and the new has come. I used to think that was an instantaneous thing. Like when you came to faith, instantly, everything old was gone, and everything new started. And so when after I came to faith, and the next day I was still have had some of the same sin issues in my head, I'm like, oh, maybe I didn't really come to faith. Because all the old was supposed to be gone, and all the new was supposed to be gone. What I've come to understand is, that's a process that happens your whole life long. God says, let's get rid of the old. Come on. 
let's slough off some of this old and get rid of it, and your heads are nodding, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's been refining you and molding you ever since. So God said it, I believed it, that settles it, that just started it. And I spent the rest of my life being refined by God. So there's something about this to say, yes, believe, but since I've believed, it has started a process for me. And Jesus was the one that said some really, really tough things about it. When we say Jesus is Lord, if so, then the things that he taught, not the things that Pastor Steve preaches or some other pastor or something, but the things that Jesus taught are critically important to us. So for the next few weeks, we're going to these tough teachings of Jesus. Too many of us have decided that if we simply believe and then stay out of trouble, that that's enough. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus himself requires more. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, he requires more than you of just believing and stay out of trouble. Turn to Matthew 5 in your Bible or grab the Bible in front of you, or, <laughs> excuse me, or the Bible on your phone or whatever it is. Matthew chapter 5. We'll take a look at something this morning. Again, I think it will be familiar for you, but we're going to stop and pause on it for a couple minutes and consider this. Uh, it's part of the what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the one uh, teaching of Jesus, the extended length of time that he taught a whole number of things. We read this morning about being salt and light. Uh, that's you know testifying to the good works that we would do in the world. He taught in the Sermon on the Mount about fulfilling the law. You heard that this morning, that he, he said, I didn't come to get rid of the law, of the Mosaic law. I came to show you what it looks like when it's completely fulfilled. He taught about murder. He taught about adultery, divorce, hatred, generosity, prayer, anxiety. I wanted to take a look this morning, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. and read this short passage, and he says this. You have heard it, uh, that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So be perfect, therefore, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, we, could, we could park just on that last sentence and talk about the tough things that Jesus said. Jesus said, you are to be perfect just like God. He said it. It says so right here. Matthew recorded it. Um, so I don't know about you, but I, I'm out. Like, I'm done. I can't, I don't, if that's, if that's the only thing Jesus ever said, I'm in deep, deep trouble. Because I have no idea how to be perfect uh, like God. And, and I think you and I both know we don't get there by, by effort. So let's start with this confession. He says this, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can we start by saying together here this morning, I'm not very good at that. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it myself, I'm not very good at that. I don't think anybody is, is good at I don't know of anybody who is good at loving their enemies. Um, it's not natural. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But would it be fair to say that if anybody could ever be good at loving their enemies, it probably should be followers of Christ. I'm talking generically, broad sweeping strokes. If humanity, if anybody is going to be decent at loving their enemies, it probably should be followers of Jesus. Would that be a fair statement? 
Right? I mean, if we sit back as, as people who testify to the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercies of God, the renewal of God, the reconciliation of God, if we were to sit back and say, somebody else is going to have to show us how to love people they disagree with, that, that, that seems incongruent. That doesn't seem consistent. So if anybody should be better at loving their enemies, it should be Christians. Let's park on the two words that are central to this passage this morning, love and enemy. Um, and the first thing I want to say about this passage, and he talks about loving your enemies, is love is not a feeling or an affection. The use of the word love here is not love like, oh, I love chocolate chip cookies. And I do. When Heather makes chocolate chip cookies, I love them. All right? Or I love uh, puppies. Or I love... It's, that's not that. That's not what this love is talking about. This love that he's talking about is, is active. It's not about how you feel towards someone. Jesus taught his disciples that love was about sacrificial giving. When he said, a greater love has no man than this, that one would lay down his life for another. That's the, the love is actively, when I'm giving up of myself for your benefit, that's love. And it doesn't really have anything to do with how I feel about you. It's what I'm willing to give up for you. That's the way he defined it. And then he showed them, right? Ultimately, he showed them with his life. In fact, if you go ahead to the next screen, when you look at John 3.16, we're familiar with it, it says, God so loved the world that he gave. Now, the way the English translation of this verse looks, it sounds a lot like, God so loved, like, oh, I love the world, I love humanity, I should do something, because I have this warm, fuzzy feeling about creation. That's, that's not what it's saying. God did not give because he felt a certain way. The better translation would be, God's love was shown in that he gave. It was the act of giving of his son that proved and demonstrated his love. So it's his love was such that he gave. Not that he felt warm fuzzies about us and so was compelled to give. It's not a feeling. God's love is actively expressed in the giving of his son. And the love of Christ for us is actively expressed in the giving of his own life. Romans chapter 5, go ahead to the next one, says this thing about the love of God. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For if, now look, here this connects us back to the Matthew 5 passage, look. While we were God's enemies, by the grace of God, we say amen this morning that every single one of us sitting here who testifies to be a follower of Jesus Christ can say there was a day in which I was an enemy of God. I was, I was at the very least uninterested. I, I didn't know. I didn't care. I was happy to live my life in, in, in pride, in whatever. I was uh, indifferent to God. The Bible says when we were in that place, we are, we are the antithesis, we are his enemies. And while we were in that place, God reached out to you before we reached out to him. God did not reach out to me because I took the first step or because there was something he saw in me. God reached out to me when I was still indifferent to him, when I was an enemy of his, when I didn't know anything about it or care anything about it. While we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. <coughs> How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see how, while we were enemies of God, he gave. When it was undeserved and unprovoked by us, God gave. This is the love of God, and it's the same love that's being described in Matthew chapter 5. So when we look at Matthew chapter 5, it says, love your enemies. Here's the description of what it means by love. Go ahead to the next screen. 
The love that he's talking about in Matthew chapter 5 is this. It's not a feeling. He's not telling us in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to feel differently about your enemies. I want you to develop a new way of, of just embracing them and, and feeling towards them. He's saying, no, no, no. The love that I'm talking about is an unconditional, active expression of self-sacrifice that's intended for the benefit of someone else, in this case, someone who I disagree with, someone who is, who's, doesn't think like me, doesn't agree with me, the benefit of, with the intent of moving that antagonistic relationship towards healing and reconciliation. Let me read through it one more time. This, this love that he's talking about. Jesus said, if you're a follower of mine, I want you to love your enemy. And what I mean by love is, you, t- you make an unconditional active expression of self-sacrifice that's intended for their benefit so that the relationship can move from antagonism to healing. That's what's meant by love. He's not telling us to feel differently about people who disagree with us. He's saying, despite how you feel about them, this is what I want you to do. Now, this isn't really a matter of interpretation. This isn't is something that we'd say, well, you know, maybe that's what, that's, that's what the word love, it, we, we look at the language and, and the word that he used is, was a verb. It was not an adjective. The word love is verb, so it's active. And this is what Jesus said. In the Matthew passage, we find him saying a number of different things in which people went, eh, if that's what you're about, maybe not. Thousands of people followed after him because he fed them and he healed them. And through, through miracles, they, they knew there was something special about him. But when he got to some of his tougher teachings and he said, if you really want to follow me, if you're interested in what I'm about, he said things like this, you have to love your enemies. You had to be salt of the earth. And there were times in which the Bible tells us people went, eh, the food was good, thank you for the healing, but that stuff, I'm not ready to make that kind of sacrifice. This is what he meant by love, an active. Okay, let's move ahead to the next thing. The, the next word we want to look at is uh, loving your enemy. Who is your enemy? Now, you've got to be careful about that question. You say, well, uh, in the big picture, are we talking about the enemies of the Christian faith? Uh, are we talking about those who are opposed to Christianity? Most often, I, I'm disheartened that I hear a lot of times Christians in our culture talk about our enemy is our government. Oh, our government's out to get us. Our government is doing this to us and doing that to us. Listen, context of what's happening globally in the world, in Canada, our government is not the enemy of the church. You've got to twist my arm really, really hard to make that case. I understand what happened uh, a couple summers ago when the, the government put these, these, um, this wording around churches that were looking for funding for uh, summer students, and that was all a mess. It was terribly handled by the government, and, and uh, since then there's been some you know, band-aid solutions to that whole thing. Listen, our government in Canada, regardless of whether it's a liberal government, conservative government, any government, the government in Canada is not the enemy of the church. Uh, you gotta, you got to make that case really hard to convince me of that. Um, is, it other, is it other religions that are our enemies? Is it somebody I just don't get along with? Well, like don't start looking around the room now. That's going to be awkward. You make eye contact with somebody, they're going to know. Hey, isn't it the truth that so, most often, it's not uncommon that for Christians, someone they consider somebody I don't get along with is often someone else in the church, right? Because right? we travel in our Christian bubbles and whatnot. Um, Who's your enemy? 
Is it just one I simply don't get along with? Is it one I bear a grudge towards? Is it somebody that I hold in contempt and I just have this bitterness about them and I've just learned to keep distance between us? Listen, there's something else that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that's really, really difficult. He said, you've heard it said that you should not murder. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. If you harbor bitterness in your heart towards somebody, you're violating the same principle. It's no different. It's the same as murdering somebody. If you have somebody that you know of in your life and you've just decided you're going to harbor an angst towards them and you're going to hold on to that and you're, you become okay with that, Jesus said that's the same principle as if you murdered. You're subject to the same scrutiny. You're subject to the same judgment. That's a tough teaching. Come on, that can't be, can't be the case. You can't tell me that literally taking someone's life is the same violation as me just deciding, I don't like Ian. I'm just going to stay away from Ian because I disagree with him. I don't like the way he is. You've met Ian, haven't you? He's very hard to get along with. He's Every time you see Ian, something else is wrong in this world. So I'm just not going to hang around him. And Jesus says, look, if you harbor that kind of bitterness in your heart towards other person, it's the same violation as if murdering them. Ah! I, I, don't, I don't compute that. That's a tough, tough teaching. But I can't argue with Christ. If another preacher said that, I would say, you're a moron! You're moron violating of human life! But I can't argue with the words of Jesus, Right? So is my enemy somebody that I harbor bitterness towards in my heart that I've just decided I've categorized that person, I'm going to stay away from them because I don't get along with them? Because that's a whole different problem, you understand, that Jesus taught in somewhere else. So who is my enemy? Let's back up a little bit to verse 21 and 26. Sorry, verses 21 to 26 is just what I was talking about. The side that Jesus says, um, you know, if you harbor bitterness towards somebody, same violation of the enemy. So my enemy doesn't have to be somebody who is actively attacking me. The principle behind this whole passage, all throughout this, this teaching, is about emptying ourselves of bitterness towards other people. How many of you in the room can, t- can say, at one time or another in my life, I was wronged. I was treated unjustly. At one point or another. Uh, yeah, it's not uncommon. I think we could all say, I remember a time in which something was said about me or something was done and it wasn't right and it wasn't fair. It wasn't good. It should not have happened. But will I harbor that? To love your enemy is the one, to be the one who takes action to heal that relationship. Do you know that you can be in the right but still be wrong? Do you know that as you, as you interact with somebody, as you find yourself in indifference to somebody and, and, and I mean like you having a a dialogue in which you disagree with another person. Do you know that you can be both right and wrong at the same time? You can be right about the issue. You might be the one that's arguing for what is actually right and true, but you can be wrong in the sense that you harbor bitterness towards them because they disagree with you. Being right is not the win. Proving that you're right is not the win. When you find yourself in conflict with somebody, convincing them of the right is not the win. The reconciliation of the relationship is the win. And Jesus says sometimes that's going to cost you. You're going to have to give up something in order to reconcile that relationship. There are lots of people who are good at this. Listen, we ask this question here. 
Why don't I just get along with my friends and avoid my enemies? That seems like a relatively pleasant Christian thing to do. I mean, we're looking for peace in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. So, get along with your friends, and for the people who are just idiots, who are not going to listen to you anyway, who are just, you know, they just cause you every time you bump into them, the whole Ian thing, right? They just grind on you the wrong way. Just avoid them. Categorize them and say, unhealthy, I'm not going to be around them. Listen to what Jesus says about this. And we already read it this morning. These two verses, chapter, uh, chapter 5, 46. If you don't love those who love you, what reward will you get from that? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? This is Jesus' way of saying this. Look, it's not Christian just to get along and avoid. Everybody can do that. There's lots of people. There are the vast majority of people in our culture today who don't claim Christian faith, who have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who aren't church-going people. A lot of them are better at relationships than what Christians are. Because they've learned how to get along with people they get along with and avoid the people they don't. And so they, they live relatively peaceful lives because they've learned how to categorize people, love those who love them, stay away from those who don't. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, I require more of you than that. Because anybody can do that. You don't need to have faith. You don't need to be a follower of mine to do that. Anybody can do that. What I require of you as my followers is something more. I need you in order to testify about me, I need you to love your enemies. I need you to go beyond what people are expecting. He's demanding something of us here. Being willing to follow after the teachings of Jesus means we go beyond what's expected. And so it means this. Go ahead and put up our last screen. This is the same screen we had on earlier. This is a tough, tough teaching of Jesus Christ. That if you want to testify to the grace of God in your life, if, if you really want to show people, if we want to go out there and say, look, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not going to go, I'm really not going to go up to a stranger and start talking to them about Jesus. I'm really not likely to go up to a friend and start talking to them about Jesus. I don't feel like I'm an evangelist. I don't feel I have the words. I'm not articulate like that. I'm not, I'm just not, it's not in my bend to, to, to teach or talk about. Jesus says, listen, my followers, this is what I expect. I expect my followers to be willing to offer unconditional, active expressions of self-sacrifice. I'm going to give up something of myself. I'm going to let go of something of myself. I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm going to risk being hurt. I'm going to risk being walked on again. But I'm going to give up something for the benefit of another, for the benefit of my enemy, for the benefit of somebody who I know doesn't agree with me, who I know I don't get along with. I'm going to make that intentional sacrifice for them in the hopes that that antagonistic relationship can move towards healing and reconciliation. Now, here's the thing. As I have been preaching this this morning, and I asked the question a little while ago, who's your enemy? You know who it is. My guess is that for many of us in the room, there is a face or a name in your head that God's placed and said, this is the person. And you know it. It's Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's, it's, it's your neighbor. Maybe it's, I, I don't know. But you know who it is. You know who that person is that you say, I need to find some way of making an olive branch. It's simple. A little step, a little word, a phone call. I don't know what it is, 
but you know the person. You know that there's somebody there needs to be some reconciliation made, and it's not going to happen until you take the initiative. It's not going to happen. Jesus said, you're going to follow after me. You need to love your enemies, and that's going to cost you something. That's tough. That's a tough teaching. Uh, None of us are good at it. I'm not good at it. And so let's finish this this morning by praying for it, yeah? Because if I'm going to love my enemies, it's not going to be by my merit. It's not going to be by my determination. I'm going to need the Spirit of God to do something in me that's bigger than me and lead me into that. So let's pray. Uh, This is tough. Father, this is a tough teaching. On a grand scale... I believe culture and humanity would experience something very differently if followers of Jesus Christ were consistently loving our enemies, making efforts of self-sacrifice to heal relationships. If that was happening often and frequently and all the time, I think the news that we hear in each evening would be very different. Father, we don't get a lot of encouragement from what we see on the news or what's happening in our world or in our culture. There's not a lot there to be encouraged by. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of strife. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of reasons that everybody can prove everybody else is wrong. Uh, So this is really tough. When you say things, when Jesus said things like, love your enemy, and we come to understand that loving means uh, unreasonable sacrifice, initiated by us, for the, ultimately for the glory of God, but to reconcile with people that feel and think differently than us, it's really tough. And we are going to need your spirit to shape us and mold us and guide us in every way in order for that to happen, God. So as we allow these, these teachings to percolate in our lives and to chip away at some of the hard edges on our heart and hopefully start to uh, mold the softer edges of our heart, We ask you, God, to be faithful in that with us and encourage us in it. Um, These are tough teachings, but we will take encouragement in your word because we know who you are. We can also testify at the same time that God has already done in our lives things that we would not have expected otherwise. So thank you, God, for that. May the glory of your name be evident in the lives of your people. We are your ambassadors. We are your representatives here on earth. Guide us, shape us, mold us and encourage us. And I thank you, Father, for all of that, because you're faithful to it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Can I ask our, our worship team to come on back up and help us close out the morning with one more song before we finish?